Robert, how are you? Wait, we're going? Yes. Uh, I've been going for a while. That's Allison's way of getting me. I thought you knew we were going. Well, you just were... She always claps. And I, I thought she was still going to do her clap. Yeah. And that's why I was clapping. I have a theme song for us. I'm excited. Can I, I have the genre, sir? <clears throat> no. I don't know how to describe the genre without giving it away. Um, after. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how to describe Is it. Is it a uh, I guess you could say comedy. It spanned multiple decades. Ooh. All right. So I I've at least could, heard of this show. I mean, I guess you could have. Okay. I guess you could say comedy. All right. Yep. Is it classic? Um, classic show probably to last that long. It's a classic show. But is it a classic theme song? We'll, we'll find out. It's a classic show. Yep. Here we go. It's been like three decades. Or four. I think three. Maybe 60s, Forever. 70s. Well, 60s, late 60s, 70s, 80s. That's a great theme song, too. Ended in the early 90s. Did it? Yes. Is that when Leno took over? Yes. Okay. So tonight's show, starring Johnny Carson, the good old Ed McMahon, and here's Johnny. Johnny, that's a great. Uh, that is incredibly well done. I would have never in a hundred years. Well, I couldn't say late night as a genre because that would give it away. Oh, it totally would have given so away. So I had to it say comedy. No, it was well done. Yeah. And yet, great job thinking outside the box. That's what I try and do when we get to our theme song. Because that, that was an iconic theme song. Like, you hear that, da-da-da-da-da. And if you're at least four years old, then you know immediately what that is. Yeah. Allison didn't know what that theme song was <laughs> because she's not 40 years old. Am I right, Allison? It's true. And I will admit, I, I didn't watch much of... The Tonight Show but with Johnny Carson we were, live. Yeah, I was we, little, were, we were little. young. We were young. Know of it and know of him so well. Um, uh, back when there was only just a handful of stations, he was it at, what, 11.30? Mm -hmm. he'd, he'd be on. I was more of a, I was in the Letterman and uh, Leno. The late, late night? Leno era. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You know? Because um, yeah. they both followed... They both were on the twelve thirty time slot, and then there was that big kind of, there was that war of who's going to take Leno over Letterman feud for uh, Carson. Yeah, Leno won, and then, and then, uh, and then, and then Leno retired, and they gave the job to Conan O'Brien. Uh huh. And then Leno said, and then I, I want it back." The numbers dropped, and they and, and they they brought back they Leno. Tore the, yeah. Yeah. And Leno's not so well liked in comic circles anymore. From really? Yeah, because of that. Like, mm. there's some, yeah. Mm. Uh, Fascinating stuff, y'all. This yeah. is the quality program you come to be on Sunday anticipating. Am I right? Some of Carson's best lines oh, we're here. Were, okay. were not that, like, the, the, the jokes were hilarious. But some of his best lines were when, like, jokes didn't land, you know? Like, he would <laughs> offer in his opening monologue, 
<laughs> no one would say anything, and then he would kind of tap the microphone. <laughs> Is this thing on? <laughs> Is like that, that where that comes from? Yes. Is that yes. where that comes from? Yes. Yep. <laughs> I did not know that. That's good. <laughs> that was well done. That's my Carson impersonation. Yeah. All right. Do you have All any right. others? I don't. Okay. Um, no, I'm All not right. going to. Are we moving on from this? I'm now? not going to bite. I'm not going to bite. Um, Thanks for sticking with us, folks. So we are uh, continuing our series on the church is not what it once was, and we're slowly making our way to the church as it is today, and yep. in particular, the Presbyterian Church Mainline Church, and, and ultimately TPC, what TPC offers to the world right now. Um, and we've started with, we've kind of been slowly making our way, we started with first half of the 20th century, this move towards fundamentalism mm -hmm. to get back to the um, what they call that movement, the fundamentals of Christianity, a particular version of it, which read, led then to the rise of uh, the evangelical movement. And we ended last our last podcast um, digging into... Um, how the evangelical movement came out of the fundamental movement. Um, and so I want let, to, let's go back and kind of just highlight some of the things that we talked about there, because then we're going to get to how the mainline church, so Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, how they responded right. to the, um, mm -hmm. the rise of uh, the evangelical movement in Christianity. And so some of the things we talked about first was there was a very there was an extreme focus on a literal approach right. to scripture. And this emerged out of um, really the postmodern effect on the church, right? So we talked about this last time too, that the modern the modern era was was very fact or fiction, truth or false. Postmodernity comes in and says, no, truth is relative. <laughs> and uh, and so the evangelical church really began to emphasize, no, it, it's not relative. Uh, faith is as simple as separating black from white. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, this affected the way they read scripture. And truth is essentially found in scripture. Truth is, uh, scripture is truth and truth is scripture. That's, yeah. a, that's a great way of putting it. Um, and it is found in a very black and white understanding of what it says. Mm -hmm. So it takes a very literal approach to that. Yeah. And it derives, again, from the fundamentals, right? Uh, one of the fundamentals we talked about was that Jesus was born of Mary, who was a virgin. That was a fundamental truth that you had to believe, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, but within that approach to scripture, right, also comes a very literal, and I would use the word, um, kind of hardline approach to, uh, what we see in the Torah as religious and communal laws, and then in, particularly in Paul's letter, the purity codes, um, what is and isn't acceptable to God. Right. And so there we find various purity codes that the evangelical church interpreted were to be literally taken um, and applied to life and began to create kind of this movement into what we would call purity culture. Um, mm -hmm. And purity culture uh, 
when taken in such a dogmatic approach, right, literal, this is truth, this is not truth, ends up becoming exclusive, mm -hmm. right? Um, you have to be, um, sex is only in a marriage between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then it's not just that, you know, okay, it's not like, okay, you're having sex outside of marriage or you're homosexual. It's you're defying the will of God. Yeah. You who what you are doing is bad is evil um mm -hmm. and it creates kind of this movement then into you are bad you are evil yes uh and it becomes uh i can't say this from any vantage point other than my own mm -hmm. it be it, it moves beyond the realm of dangerous into the realm of damaging i'm just going to name it and sure it, and yeah. from my perspective right it moves into the realm of not just guilt i I did something wrong, but shame. That's well said. I am yep. wrong. Right. Yes. And and it and there are things that go along with that 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 are honestly kind of hard to capture. But as pastors, we've seen it. We've had conversations with women who were in abusive relationships who felt tremendous shame because they left their husbands instead of submitting to them when they were in abusive relationships. But Paul in Ephesians says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it goes farther than that. It goes into the, to the, what Jesus said about divorce, right? Um, uh, you shouldn't get divorced, they would interpret it. And so there's no nuance. There's no nuance. The there's no gray. It's written in a literal way. It's, as it's written, it is applicable with no questions to be asked to here and now. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and because the scripture was written in a patriarchal society that had a very limited understanding of the breadth and depth of human identity, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What that ends up creating is a purity culture that is geared towards uh, supporting the behavior of Men in powerful positions. That's what it ends up doing, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. it was written in terms of a context and culture that couldn't see life through any other perspective than that. Mm -hmm. So there's this kind of movement into purity culture. Uh, at the same time, some really gifted politicians began uh, seeing the opportunity to align um, their political movement with this religious movement, uh, particularly the moral majority and Jerry Falwell uh, are some of the first things that come to mind. And what ends up happening is we have a merging of the evangelical church into conservative politics. And so now, uh, this is really in the 80s, that this really kind of takes off exponentially. Uh, evangelical faith is no longer just an evangelical faith. It's an evangelical kind of mishmash now of faith and politics. Mm -hmm. And as this is happening, the mainline church wants nothing to do with the judgmentalism or the exclusivism of purity culture. Right. And they also don't want their faith being locked up into um, a political culture as well. So the mainline church ends up just running away 
<laughs> running away from everything and anything that could possibly uh, identify them with the evangelical movement that is now, again, evangelical faith and evangelical politics. Mm -hmm. They want nothing to do with the purity codes. Well, that, this is huge broad brushes, right? So not everything, but they don't want to be identified with the exclusive, the exclusive judgmental condemnatory aspects of faith. Mm -hmm. uh, and they certainly don't want to be identified with the political aspects of, of that faith. But in the process of running away, what they then oh, do, kind of running away from a faith that kind of talks out loud and uses their faith lips to profess what they believe, the mainline church just kind of gets quiet. Mm -hmm. If the evangelicals are talking about how homosexuals are evil, we're just not going to talk about homosexuality. Uh, and if the evangelicals are talking about the importance of abstinence, we're just not going to talk about sex. And if the evangelicals are talking about conservative politics, well, we're just not going to talk about politics mm. or anything political. Mm. And the mainline runs away kind of from this, uh, from, from this 2,000-year-old tradition of speaking and articulating your faith, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and within that, uh, they also then begin moving away from things like, as essential, like Bible study. Like, to their great credit, while, while you and I are an evangelical, we admire a lot in the evangelical faith how seriously they do take Scripture. Mm -hmm. Yes, we don't agree with a literalistic interpretation of Scripture. We, we read into it cultural criticism and historical criticism, but... But they do, uh, or, or they still read their Bible. They know their Bible. And there's something beautiful about that. Well, and I'll add, there is, having been in both camps for parts of my life, in mm -hmm. part of the evangelical camp for a while, and then grew up mainline and then came back to it, um, uh, there is something that's a little easier about a black and white understanding of Scripture. Yes. All because once and we've talked about this many times, and we're going to keep talking about it. Uh, to come to it and just want quick answers is uh, can be very comforting at times. Tell me what Scripture says about this. Tell so me I, what. Tell me what to believe. Yes. So I can believe it. Mm -hmm. And in the process of that, the simplicity of it. It also, the evangelical tradition also began to boil down into, um, and this makes sense with its merging into uh, the political right, it merges down into a, a real kind of movement into individualism. Mm -hmm. um, it, it begins to lift up the role of faith for the individual over and above the role of faith for community. Yeah. This, this is a unique aspect of evangelical Christianity. Yes. Yes. And what's interesting about it is, um, so that's where we get the idea of kind of the sinner's prayer, is mm -hmm. I need to say this prayer, and that um, from then on I am saved. And this is no way uh, am I discounting conversion. Or mm -hmm. um, there is, it is all over the scriptures, and people who encounter God and encounter Jesus and are changed. They, they lived one way um, 
one day and encounter God and are and are changed and transformed. Yet this became this almost I, I need to get my ticket, my ticket to heaven, and one and that is basically the goal of Christianity. And I remember growing up thinking like this was in somewhat this was the history of Christianity. And it's really, it's more localized in the last... It's a 50-year window yeah, of Christianity. Yeah, uh, really half century to a little more. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of in the great awakening that we had here yep. in, in, um, in America at times. Um, uh, but that focus on, I, I need to say this prayer, and then I'm saved, and then I'm good to go. Then I'm good to go. And because... I am saved, and because I abide by the purity codes, I am good. Yes. And if you do not abide by the purity codes, or you do not fit into this specific boundary box, then you're not good to go. Right. You're going to hell. God says you're going to hell. Therefore, I can judge you. Um, now, again, these are big and broad strokes here. Um the mainline church, in, as a reaction to that, again, they just ran away from using their faith lips and digging into scripture and lifting up really beautiful elements of the faith that the evangelical church was doing a wonderful job of, mm -hmm. um, articulating their faith, uh, trying to spread the faith to others. And in the process, what ended up happening is... Uh, because the evangelical church was so good at it, to their great credit, and the mainline church ran away from it, society at large um, in Western Christianity, or Western culture, right, began to understand the church simply through the evangelical lens. When only the evangelical church is going on, is intentionally doing public messaging, around their understanding of faith, when only the evangelical church is voicing their faith through various politicians, when only the evangelical church is really kind of utilizing the, the media. I mean, they do a lot of things really brilliantly. Um, yeah. Society well, at large begins to connect the whole of Christianity with that. And the mainline church was actually... That, that only push, pushed the mainline church farther into silence. It, it was the rise of tele-evangelism. Tele-evangelism, that's right. <laughs> um, Good and uh, what was his name? I just recently watched the movie The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Mm, I haven't seen it. Tammy Faye Baker and Jim Baker um, and uh, the rise of their, of their ministry in the 80s. Um, fascinating. And, Tam and that's a whole... I'm not going to go down that that rabbit hole, but a fascinating look at um, how uh, evangelicals used television to broadcast their message. Yes, and, and a lot did very it very effective. Way. A lot did it without reverting to corruption, right? I mean, we should name that, sure. right? I mean, the the bakers are a very corrupt name. Yeah, but um, he did. Go to jail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yep. Uh, within this movement, then, so mainline is now in the eighties and the nineties, essentially a silent, a silent presence in the church, right? So the mainline church, and by that, I, really, what we're talking about here is the per 
churches with pro a progressive understanding of scripture and theology, a, a tr traditions that take cultural and historical criticism into their understanding of what scripture says and what scripture means mm -hmm. are largely so silent now that the rest of society doesn't hear them or see them. The church is still there, but it has gone so quiet that the churches themselves uh, are, are really kind of um, abandoning a two millennia old tradition of their own in Bible study and sharing the good news with others and embracing the role of the church uh, in proclaiming good news to the public and helping the and helping others begin to see life through the gospel lens. Um, and so while the it, while the evangelical church is on the rise, the mainline church is on a severe decline. Yeah. Uh, and it's only getting more and more exponential because they're getting quieter and quieter and quieter because they're running away from everything that they think dare connects them into that kind of judgmental, exclusive mm. aspect of faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Until we, in the beginning of the 21st century, right, we're in the church, I'm in the mainline church, and, you know, um, there's... Uh, there's a lot of progressive mainline churches that would not, that did not engage in, say, uh, adult Bible study. Mm -hmm. Didn't offer it. Um, that didn't have uh, an evangelism program. And by evangelism, we mean not going out and trying to save souls. Um, we believe that's God's job. Mm. But we mean sharing the good news of God's love yes. through Jesus Christ. Because we believe that life changes, that life is better, life is truer when we live it understanding how God's love and God's grace is with us and forms us and moves us. Yeah, what, what happens is there's a hesitancy to um, want to be proactive and move towards mm -hmm. anyone because there is this fear of... Mm -hmm. um, pushing and forcing and feeling like you are um, uh, placing all of these uh, expectations on people. And what gets lost in that is the good news of God's love. Amen. Um, and how to under, and how to, how to come to something as deep and broad as scripture and find truth within it, no matter what part you're looking at, right? Find truth within it even if it's not necessarily uh, the, the most immediate or the most literal understanding of what the pages are conveying. Mm -hmm. uh, the good news in this, though, is that the mainline church, in my opinion, is finding its voice again, right? Uh, the mainline church is beginning to understand that what what we did in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s was not just unhelpful, it was harmful to the church. Um, and so the role of the church really in the 21st century, and particularly in the 2020s, is, is becoming to, to find its voice again and to proclaim what it believes and how it reads scripture and how... Um, and how scripture informs the way we live in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, the mainline church is really kind of rediscovering this. And in, in, along the way, the mainline church is rediscovering the 
huge importance of proclaiming a gospel of communal salvation over and against purely individualism and individualistic salvation. And so that's where we want to go for the next couple of weeks is to talk about where we see, especially the mainline church going, um, how it is kind of coming out of this time period. And we are going to be the first, and we have been, to critique it. We've been trying to critique both sides in many ways, um, um, but also uh, also name um, some of the healthy directions that, um, as we see it, mm-hmm. and as we are members of it, the mainline church is moving in now. Um, so that's what's coming up. That's what's coming up in the next couple weeks. We're getting there. We are getting there. Yep. Um, until then, we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Peace. Have a great rest of the day.